This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. Father, we thank you that you're good. We thank you that you're real. We thank you that you're here. God, we pray this morning that you might still our hearts and our minds. As we think about the year ahead, we, we ask, God, that you would help us to align our dreams and our purposes and our vision and direction with what you want to do and not just what we want to achieve this year. Father, we are hungry for you. We're desperate for you. And God, we thank you that you meet us where we are. We thank you that you want to take us further. We thank you that you want to make us more like Jesus. And so I pray this morning, God, wherever we're at, that you would begin a work today that would make 2020 our best year yet. And we pray it in Jesus' strong name. And all of God's people said, amen. This week, um, we've had a bit of a rough week with sleep this week. We've, um, we've got an 18-month-old, and he is taken to waking up whenever he feels like in the middle of the night and just screaming, like I'm talking screaming. And our walls are like cardboard thin between our apartment and the apartment next door. I feel so sorry for our neighbours. But on Wednesday night, uh, Levi woke up about 12.30 for the fifth time or whatever, and I was so frustrated that I pressed up and I looked over at Tash, and as I looked over her, I saw a huntsman about this big crawling up the bed between us, going for the back of her head. And in that moment, without thinking, without like, like an instant reflex, with my foot and my hand, I pushed her back and I literally said, babe, move. And I just, I just pushed her out of bed. And she went flying out of bed, jumped up and was like, what? She thought something was horribly wrong with Levi because she was, you know, semi-awake as well. And I said, there's a spider. She thought it was on her. So she's like freaking out, running around. Anyway, the closest thing I could find to kill that sucker was the top of Levi's change table, like the foam bit. So I folded it in half and I'm like running around trying to whack this spider. It's under the couch. I've gone to get the spray and the fly swatter. I'm like literally spraying, just like whacking everything. I'm spraying all over the kids' toys and books. I had to wash all those suckers down afterwards. We finally settled Levi. And I think for the next 15 minutes, walked around the whole room, every corner with our phone torches checking for spiders. We closed all the doors and windows. We turned the aircon on. We tucked the sheets in super tight and lay in bread praying (laughs) that every movement, I was like, is that a spider? But it kind of got me thinking, you know, um, if if I didn't kind of just kick Tash out of bed in that moment, if she didn't move, I mean, a spider would have been like crawling through her hair. Um, and all the arachnophobes in the room are secretly just wishing that I would stop talking right now. If you don't move, you don't go anywhere. And it kind of got me thinking uh, about Vision Month. What we're doing here over the next few weeks is that what we want to put before you guys is the direction we're heading in. And we need to move. Because if we don't move, we're not going to go anywhere. If we don't move, we're not going to grow as a church or as individuals. In order to take a step forward, you've got to move. If we don't move, we go backwards. Uh, Christian life is a bit like um, an escalator, walking the wrong way up an escalator. If you're not moving forwards, you're going backwards. We need to move. And so what I want to lay out for you over the next couple of weeks is where we're going to move to, where I believe God is taking us. 
And over the last six weeks or so, as I've been leading into Vision Sunday, a big part of my, um, what I do in January is try not to preach too much so I've got space to think and pray and seek God. And as I've been praying over the last six weeks or so and asking God what He wants for us, what he, where He wants to take us this year, what He wants us to lean into, I keep coming back to this idea over and over again. And it's as much true for my life as it is for our church. And the idea is this. That God wants us to experience more of him. That we ought to nurture and develop a hunger and a thirst and a yearning for more of God. So the banner that I want to put across 2020 and the phrase that I want us to use to be thinking about is more of God. A hunger for God, a yearning for God. But you know, part of, um, and as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, well, what are, there's a whole bunch of things that I would like more of this year. But what would you like more of in 2020? Perhaps it's more time. Uh, I'm afraid to tell you that we all are allotted the same amount of time every day. No one gets more than 24 hours. But we would like more time. Maybe we would like a bit more exercise. Or perhaps more money might be helpful for us. More friends, more time for community. Maybe you're hoping for more me time this year. It's a bit of time for me, a bit of time to sit in a cafe and read. And maybe you're hoping for more genuine experiences, more time with friends, more time with family. I mean, whatever it is for you, what are you hoping for more of this year? You fill in the blank. More what? And one of the problems with this um, pervasive culture that we live in is that our world and our culture tells us that you need more. Every single day we're told you need more. You need a new car, you need a bigger house, you need this, you need that. That's the whole premise of advertising is to make you want more, something new, something better, an upgrade. And the problem with that type of thinking is that it can lead to us being horribly dissatisfied with what we currently have. It can lead to us looking around going, I've, I've got nothing. We, we open a full cupboard and we go, I've got no clothes to wear. I mean, really? Like 13 pairs of jeans, you've got no clothes to wear? I do it all the time, right? Open the cupboard. I've got no clothes to wear. And Tash looks out out the, out the bathroom. She's like, really, you got no clothes to wear? Sure. You've got more jeans than I do, more shoes than I do. You've got no, more clothes. I, I, here's the problem with this. We end up being dissatisfied with what we have. Now, that is, that is abundantly true of material things because reality is we have more than we need. Comparatively speaking, we have a abundantly more than what we need here in Sydney in 2020. But when it comes to spiritual matters, maybe that dynamic shifts a bit. You know, I'm, I'm yet to meet a serious follower of Jesus who said to me, you know what? I've got, I've got enough of God. I've, I've experienced enough of Jesus. I have enough of the spirit in my life. I'm good. I'm, I'm yet to meet someone who said that. And why is that the case? Because God is infinite in his character and his worth. And when we experience an abundance of something, it tends to spoil. You experience too much of even a good thing, that good thing ends up being damaging and harmful to us. Too much food can be bad for us. Too much sleep can lead to laziness and folding of hands. And Too much water can be negative for you. It's called drowning if you have too much water going in. Even good things, that was a joke, gee, tough crowd this morning. I got like one little snigger down here. Even good things in abundance can be harmful for us. 
but God is infinite. And experiencing more of God is never damaging to us. The character and, and glory and goodness and grace of God in abundance never spoils, never turns bad. We can always experience more. In fact, that's what A.W. Tozer said. He said, you can always have more of God. You can always have more of God. I believe that what God wants for our church this year, in fact, what he wants for my life and for every single person in this room is for you to experience more of him, more of God. That, That God wants us to use a gaming term to level up, to go to the next level. That God wants us to push deeper into his character and his worth. That God wants us to break through the ceiling and to, to let go of the things that are holding us back spiritually this year and to experience him more. That God wants us to step forward and not backwards. That God wants you to experience more this year. Now, now you notice that I said more of God and not more from God. Because there is a big difference between those two things. There's a big difference between wanting more of God and wanting more from God. When you want more from God, you want God to baptize and bless your plans and your dreams and your vision. But experiencing more of God is the delight and joy of being caught up in God's plans and in God's purposes and God's vision. Wanting more of God is about enjoying the giver. But wanting more from God is about enjoying the gift. Now, we want to have more of God this year, not just more from him. Now, perhaps, the, perhaps that's a bit of a false dichotomy because I think as we experience more of God, we will end up experiencing more from him. But the order is important. The motivation is important that we want to experience more of God that we want to worship the giver and not just the gift. So here's what I know as we head into this year. Without a shadow of doubt, I am convinced that God wants you to experience more. That God wants you to experience more of him. I'm absolutely convinced. He wants you to see more of his glory. He wants you to behold more of his beauty. He wants you to be more aware of his presence. He wants you to understand more of his word. He wants you to grasp more of his worth. He wants you to witness more of his faithfulness in your life. He wants you to be strengthened by more of his power. He wants you to appropriate more of the gospel into the deepest, darkest reaches of your heart and soul. He wants you to display more of the sanctifying work of the spirit in your life. He wants you to be filled with more hope not less. He wants you to know more of what it looks like to walk in dependent prayer on him. I promise you, God wants you to experience more this year. Now, I can't promise you that based on what I know, what I've experienced. But what I can promise you that is based on the scriptures. Because as you read the letters that Paul wrote to the churches, you see this theme coming up and again and again and again. He pleads with God for more. 
He pleads with God for increase and abundance. Have a look at what he says in Romans 15, 13, that the God of hope will fill you with all hope that you might abound in hope. Or again, in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, that God is able to make all grace abound. And having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you would abound in every good work. That's a prayer for more. That's a desire for more. Or if Philippians 1.9, Paul writes to the church, he prays for them that their love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. Or again in 1 Thessalonians 3.12, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. Those are prayers and desires for an exponential increase of grace and faith and love and joy, and hope. Time and time again, that's Paul's desire for the church. And that's my heart for our church this year, that we would experience more of God. And so as we think about this year, I wonder where you're at with your faith, with your journey, with your walk, the way you find yourself at this moment. I wonder how your soul is. And perhaps if you could describe your soul with a gif, I wonder what it would look like. Maybe you would say, well, this, this is me this year. This is my soul. This is the condition of my soul this year. Everyone else around me seems to be going off. But for me, I'm just a bit apathetic in this season of life. There's no excitement. I just feel pretty apathetic about God, about faith, about my journey. Or maybe this is you. Maybe this is a better description of where you're at this year. You, you feel pretty content. You feel comfortable. You finished uh, a season of growth and hard work and you've come home, you've had a shower, you've put the robe on and, and you're good. And, and you just want to cruise. In fact, maybe your, the, the tone of your, your life at the moment, your spirituality is called plateau. You're just comfortable. You're happy where you're at. You're not really content to go anywhere other than to sit on the couch and watch, net, and watch Netflix. Or, or maybe this describes uh, you this year, where you're at. You, your faith feels a bit weak at the moment. You're lacking strength. You're struggling to believe the promises of God. Or maybe this is you this year, you're, um, you're thinking, I don't think I've done very well at all. As you look back on this year, you feel like you've actually lost confidence. Or, or maybe this is you this year, you just feel a bit stuck. A bunch of hurdles that you're trying to overcome this year and you just cannot get there. Right? You're stuck in negative patterns of behavior. You are stuck in habitual sins that you just cannot seem to get over. Or maybe this is a better description of where you're at this year. You can see it. You're just feeling a little distracted. There's a lot in front of your focus at the moment. You're busy, you're hurried, you're frantic, you're distracted. Or maybe this one is a better description of you this year. You're lit. You're on fire. I mean, God has been working in your life powerfully and you're ready to go. Or, or maybe this is a better description of you. That says show yourself down the bottom. Maybe for you there's no faith. 
mean, you wouldn't identify as a Christian. You wouldn't identify as a follower of Jesus, a disciple of his. You're not even really sure if God's there. You know, it doesn't matter where you're at this morning, or maybe there's a thousand other gifts that might, des- might describe where you're at this morning. But here's my promise for you. God wants you to experience more. If you're weak, he wants to strengthen you. If you lost confidence, he wants to remind you of his goodness and his strength and his power and his promises. If you're apathetic, he wants to set you on fire and give you fresh zeal this year. If you're lit, if you're on fire, he doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to go to the next level and experience more. Wherever you're at, no faith at all, God wants to radically change your life. I believe God wants more this year, more for every single one of us. As I was thinking about where I'm at spiritually, the condition of my soul and my heart, I mean, on, on any given day, I could probably experience the whole range of all of those gifts, if I'm honest with you, sometimes all of them in one day. But if I'm real with you guys, I think probably distracted, the frantic chaos of family and work and life, and perhaps even a bit plateaued at times. I believe God wants for me this year is that he wants more. He wants me to experience more of him. But let let me just issue a word of caution here because we are the microwave generation, right? We want it now. We want it yesterday. We want it fast, right? Everything in our life. We want to be able to order online and be home when we arrive there from work, right? We want everything now, instantly. And the problem with that is that's not how spiritual growth works. That's not how progress works in the kingdom of God. It doesn't happen in an instant, often. Sometimes it does. Sometimes God will just knock you down, zap you, and you are good to go. But for the most part, the process of growth is slow. It's moment by moment, decision by decision, mistake by mistake, failure by failure, getting back up, trying again. And so a word of caution to those of you who are excited about what God wants to do in 2020 and then Tuesday comes around and you're already deflated and flat because it didn't happen, just have a bit of patience. This is not like a New Year's resolution of like trying till Feb and then giving up because it didn't work. This is a lifelong journey of wanting to see God shape us and change us and make us more like Jesus. Think of that image from 2 Corinthians 4 where Paul says, that we are being transformed, that we're being transformed day by day and we're being transformed from glory to glory, from one degree of Christ-likeness to another. That's a slow journey. So don't be impatient with this type of change. Don't be impatient with this type of experience and growth. But that's what I believe God has for every single one of us. You know, when um, we got back from holidays, we spent about three and a half weeks away. It was amazing. But one of the things that I did on holidays, I left my motorbike sitting in the garage for three and a half weeks, probably even a bit more than that, to be honest with you. And when I got back and turned it on, it was running real rough. It just felt like it had no power. It was kind of backfiring a bit. And I think what the problem was, it had fuel in it that had gone stale and the fuel was bad. And in order for the bike to run properly, I needed to clean the bad fuel out and put some fresh fuel back in. And in order for us to experience more of God, sometimes what God needs to do is clear out the bad in order to fill us with the good. I'm thinking about the verse from Micah chapter 5 where um, 
God promises that he's going to do a work in his people, that he's going to have a remnant who are faithful to him, a holy people. And the way that God is going to keep his people pure and holy is that he is going to refine them. He is going to purify them. He is going to purge them. And in Micah chapter 5, God lists all of the things that he is going to do to his faithful remnant. And it's not what you would expect. He says to them, I'm going to take away your war horses and your chariots. I'm going to smash down your walls and your defenses. Why? Why would you do that, God? Well, because I want to show you that it's not about your strength. It's not about how high you build the wall. It's about how strong I am. And it's about how you can trust me and not put your trust in these material earthly things. And the next thing he says to them in Micah chapter 5 is that he is going to strip away and purge Israel of all of their idols and Asherah poles and shrines and all of their false idolatry. Because we cannot possibly hope to experience more of God when we are bowing to something that is a fake, false substitute and, substitute and cheap counterfeit of the true and living God. And so I believe what God wants to do for us is as we experience more of him, if that's what we want, if we're hungry for God, and I believe God needs to drain the tank of the, the bad, stale fuel in our life and replace it with fresh fuel. Psalm 107 verse 9 says that God, what does it say? It says this, that he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. God satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. As we clear out the chaff and the idols and the things that we're placing our confidence and security in, God wants to fill the hungry with good things. We want more of God. In order to make someone hungry, the best thing that you can do to make someone hungry is to cook a meal in front of them and to let them smell the aroma of cooking food and to see it, to cook a a juicy, nice cut of steak and to, to smell the steak being cooked and to see the juices running off it and the fat fire burning and it just makes you, your mouth salivate. Or the best way to make someone want coffee is just to grind the beans, right? You walk into the cafe in the morning like, coffee, right? You smell the beans and your brain's like pinging, like give me caffeine, right? The best way to make someone hungry is to cook a meal in front of them. Now, I can't make you hungry for God this year. I can't stir up a desire for more of him. I can't make you thirst for more of Jesus. But what I can do is this morning just give you a little entree. It's a little starter. The best way to nurture hunger of God is to meditate on his character and his worth and his goodness. To pause and to reflect on what God has done for us and how good he is, and how gracious he is, and how much he loves us. And I can't think of a better way to do that than to enter into the worship of the psalmist in Psalm 63. This is such an incredible psalm. As a psalmist recounts what it's like to experience God, to know God. Have a look at these words, profoundly beautiful words from Psalm 63. So the psalmist, he says, Oh God, you 
are my God, personal. You are my God, not someone else's God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. This image of someone walking through the desert, thirsty, longing for a drink. Drink bottles are empty, yearning for just a little bit of H2O to hit the tongue to quench the thirst. That is the spiritual condition here. I thirst for you. My whole body longs for you. And he describes his experience of worship there in verse Two, I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. If you want more of God, the best thing that you can do is meditate on his worth, his sufficiency, his character. He is worthy of all of your worship and more. I have seen you in the sanctuary and gazed upon your power and your glory. Listen to this line. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And to know that love, to encounter that love, to experience that love is better than being alive. Wow. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live. As long as I have breath in these lungs, I will praise you, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. Listen to this. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. Think of the richest feast that you can think of. Christmas lunch, Christmas dinner, prawns, ham, gravy, all of the good things, the sauces, the condiments, you name it. The richest feast you can think of, all you can eat. I, I think of like going to a barbecue place like Bovine and Swine in Erskineville and, and in Enmore and just smelling the meat and just, ah, uh, the richest feast. And God, God is more satisfying. You, you know that, that feeling of just feeling like you've had a, an amazing meal and you feel good, like not too full, like not to the point of bloated, like, oh, I think I need to, I think I'm going to be sick. You know, like not that feeling, but that feeling of just being, that was so good. I feel so satisfied right now. God is better than the richest feast. Verse six, I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper, I will sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong hand holds me securely. What a picture. What a picture of worship. That is the picture of someone who is hungry for more of God. Someone whose spiritual walk is a, is a walk of yearning and thirsting and being hungry for God. Not for his blessings, not for the fruit, not for his gifts, but for him. And I think so often we want the fruits of revival. We want converts. We want a church that's on fire. We want worship that is just going off. And it's so easy to fall in love with those things and not love the God who gives them. So here's the deal. My, my dream for this year is that we wouldn't pursue the fruit 
but that we would pursue God. Because he is the one who has pursued us. God is the one who sent his son, who crossed this universe, who gave everything he had to die in our place, to take upon himself the full brunt of the wrath of God's anger at sin, to die as a sacrifice, to offer his blood as a cleansing solution to wash sin away. God has gone to the highest degree that he could possibly go to pursue you, to hunt you down, and to woo you to him with his grace. And my prayer and hope for this year is that we would pursue God in response to what he has done, that we would lean in. You know, we've got a lot to do this year. We're going to talk about doing next week. We're going to get to that. Talk about church planning. We're going to talk about Alpha. We're going to talk about gospel communities and what it means to be disciple-making disciples of Jesus. But we have to start here. This has to be our foundation for 2020. Because we could get busy doing stuff and be working for the fruit of God's kingdom without worshipping the God who gives it. We want more of God this year. More of, I want more of God this year. And my hope is that you want more of God this year. More of his grace. More of his power. More of his love. More of the gospel in your language and your life and your motives, more of God. The thing that kind of set me on this direction of more was a quote um, that everyone attributes to Charles, to John Wesley. And he says this, set yourself on fire and people will come from miles to watch you burn. And I got fixated on the people coming for miles to watch you burn because that's what I want to see, right? I want to see church that's on fire and everyone coming and people coming to church and they're like, surely God is in their midst. But I don't want to neglect the first part of it. And that is that God wants to wake us up. You know, a number of years ago, did I share the story about the counseling yet? I don't think I did, did I? You can't remember either because you were in the first service too. You know, when you preach twice, like, did I share this story already? A number of years ago, thank you for the nose. A number of years ago, um, I was talking to a, um, I was talking to a, a counselor, a Christian counselor, about an issue that I was facing, and she was trying to convince me to work through stuff with her, and I just wasn't into it. I was like, I don't want to do this. I want to talk about it. I don't like talking about my feelings. I'm a guy. I'm good. I'm just going to push him down, bury it, and get on with what I need to do. And in order to convince me, she said to me, Matt, I want you to know that if you work through this. This will be revival for you. And I thought to myself, I know what revival is. Don't give, me, don't give me that sales pitch. I've read church history. Revival is what happens when God breathes on his church and his spirit is poured out and people come to faith in their thousands and the culture is renewed and the church is on. That's revival. This counseling thing looks like torture to me. But anyway, she said enough to convince me and I'm, I worked through stuff with her and God used those sessions to show me that there were idols in my heart that I'd been clinging to and that those things had produced behaviors and patterns in my life that were destructive and that God wanted to strip those things away. And the thing was that I was so afraid of what would happen when he took those away. 
because I was so used to operating out of them. And what God showed me in that season was that his intent and his purpose for, you, for me is never to make me worse. He's not going to strip these things away and then put something worse there. I could do that. But his intent and purpose was to strip away the idols, was to empty out the stale fuel from the tank and to fill me. And I promise you, it truly was revival for me. I began to see my eyes were opened. I began to yearn for God's forgiveness more. I realized I needed it more than I'd given it credit for. I began to long to live out of my gospel identity, the thing that I'd preached Sunday after Sunday, that I wanted that to be true for me in a new way. It was a revival for me. And I began to experience more of God. But it took clearing the chaff, clearing the idols, clearing the false securities away so that I could experience more of God. So what I want to do this morning is lead us in a moment of response together as a church family, believing that every single person in this room, that God wants to work in your life today, that he wants to strip away the things that are hindering your relationship with him. And he wants more for you this year. So I'm going to invite every single person in this room to stand up. We're going to respond together as a church family. doesn't matter where you're at in your spiritual journey. You stand. Let's have a moment of reflection as we pause to consider the things in our life that God wants to strip away, the idols in our heart, the things where we're placing our trust in, our confidence in that are counterfeits of God himself. And just bring those things before God now in the quietness of your own heart. Lay them before God. God, we long for you. We're thirsty. We know that in order to experience more of your grace and your mercy and truth this year, you want to strip away some of the things that we've been holding on to. And so God, right now we want to surrender these things to you. God, would you bring your refining fire, purge our hearts, clear the temple courts of our heart from idols. A promise from Psalm 107 is that God fills the hungry with good things. God fills the hungry with good things. And so this morning, if you... If you want God to fill you this morning, if you want to experience more of God this year, as a way of receiving, I want to invite you to place your palms open towards the roof to receive from God. If you want to experience more of God this year, we don't need to welcome him into this room. He's already here by his spirit. God, we thank you for the promise that you fill the hungry with good things. God, we surrender our lives to you and we pray, Father, we want more. We want more of your grace and more of your mercy and more of your truth. 
We want, to want, we want to know what it looks like to swim in the deep end of your love. God, we want more. And so we pray that you would fill us. Open our eyes. Awaken us, God. Renew us, revive us, restore us. This is your work. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.